a joy to be back in Cape Town. Always a privilege and a blessing uh, to, to be here. I do honestly see it in those terms. It's a joy to meet with you last year. Uh, I've known Rigby probably, well, it has been since the 1980s. He actually came to our home, and uh, I've known him since then. But last year was my first time coming into common ground and being among a number of the congregations and being away with the elders, which we've done again this week, which again is a, a real special blessing. And uh, thank you so much for being so open and friendly. Uh, Wendy and I love coming, and we're glad, glad to be with you again this morning. I, I'm going to speak to you, uh, if you want to turn there, but it's just one verse, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. I'll just read the verse to you where it says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to multiply. It's one of those kind of summing up verses which you occasionally see. It sort of stands alone uh, in the passage and, and it's just a little kind of, this is what's happening. This is how it's going. You remember Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a tiny seed. And if you think of it, Jesus, the first meeting he has with Peter and uh, Andrew, you'll find that he's on the beach. Uh, and they ask him, uh, well, he turns to them. What are, you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Uh, and they're kind of a bit flustered. They say, where do you, where do you live? And he says, come and see. And that's the beginning of the church of the living God. A handful of guys being invited to come and see where Jesus lives. And now we're talking about billions and billions of believers all over the world. Jesus said this little seed will grow and grow and grow and grow and fill the earth. Be like the largest tree from the tiniest seed. And uh, it multiplies, it multiplies, it keeps growing and multiplying. And that's the feature in this particular verse. It multiplied. You'll find very often these days uh, magazines for Christian leaders are tending to borrow language from the world of management and saying, you know, what's your five-year plan? What are you going to do? Well, it's good to be organized. It's good to have plans. But actually, Paul said this, one sows, another waters. It's God who makes it grow. And this word multiplied, if you like, it's a passive. It's something that happens to us. God multiplies it. God made it grow. God made it grow. And we need that blessing and favor of God upon us. But what you'll notice here is there are certain values that are evident in the verse. And I think we need to be not so much strategically led as being uh, led to keep the values, being a, a values-driven movement, if you like. These things matter to us. And they're just summed up quite briefly in this verse. I want to pray that God will make it come alive to us, seem relevant to us, speak right into our lives, that we might be a, a people that God feels, hey, yeah, I want more of those. We don't just want to add churches. We want God to say, yeah, I want more like that. Is this group worth multiplying and breathe life on us? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that we've been singing of how great you are how we welcome you with praise amongst us, how magnificent it is to know you. Lord, we thank you on this beautiful day. We know who to thank. We know who to worship in this stunning setting 
We bless you that, Lord, we're not ignorant. We're not turning our back on this reality that the great God has made a magnificent world. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you for the privilege of being with brothers and sisters. And we again ask you right now, Father, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead us. Make your truth come alive in our hearts. Come speak to us, we pray, and glorify your great name. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the characteristic of this church is fascinating to see. The thing that actually first grabbed my attention and drew me into the verse was where it says, the church, and it says it in singular, the church, this growing phenomenon, the church, throughout... Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. That was kind of drew my eye. I thought, that's fascinating. This peace now is among a people who formerly would not have been at peace with one another. Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with one another. You remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, asks her for a drink, and he turns, she turns to him and says, why are you speaking to me? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's like there's a wall here. There's a, there's a wall. We don't, we don't communicate. We have nothing to do with one another. And then Galilee is called Galilee of the Gentiles. These are, these are separate groupings. And now we're talking about a community that somehow bounces over those walls, and, and it's now the church, the people of God, this phenomenal community that God is raising up in the planet. started with a handful. It's going to reach every tribe, every tongue, every every nation. That's what God promised Abraham at the beginning. I will bless through you, through your seed, which is Jesus. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. God's about a great work. We have the privilege of being caught up in that. And this is, this is the stage they'd reached here in Acts chapter 9. And this word peace, it says they had peace. It's a, it's a lovely Jewish word, shalom. It's something that they longed for, something the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament. It says a king shall reign in righteousness, princes will rule in justice, and there will be peace. There will be peace. That's that beautiful passage we often hear at Christmas. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government should be upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. This is one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God, the people of God, that peace prevails. Peace is on display in a world which is increasingly hostile, increasingly angry, increasingly fragmented, breaking down all kinds of uh, unpleasantness, not only nation to nation, but in homes, people breaking up, falling apart. This church had peace. It's a phenomenal thing that God was doing that, raising up a community that spoke of another king reigning in their lives, that they were citizens of another community. Paul says in Philippians, Look, your citizenship's in heaven. We, we, we belong to another city. We may be in Philippi, we may be in Rome, but we belong to another community God is raising up. And this is beginning to be apparent here in Judea, Galilee, Samaria. It started, it started. This kingdom has peace. And it's interesting that that meant it jumped over previous barriers. 
One of the great times of breakthrough time in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 10, where you find that Peter, who's obviously a Jewish guy, that's his background, he's, he's now an apostle of God, but he's learning, he's still learning of the full implications of what's happened to him. It says one day he's praying, uh, he's on a rooftop, he's praying, he falls into a trance, he sees a vision, and in the vision he sees a sheet coming down from heaven with animals in it, and the voice says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And as a Jewish guy, well, I don't know, I've never, I've never eaten that, I've never eaten that, that's not kosher, I don't touch that, I, that you know, that's, that's forbidden to me, I won't even touch it, and the vision goes, and then it comes a second time. With this word, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And the same answer, no, 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 I don't do that kind of thing. I don't touch it. And then a third time, arise, Peter, kill and eat. It's like, wow, am I allowed to? As a Jewish guy, am I now allowed to eat this stuff? Is that permitted? It's like, can you eat pork and go to heaven? It's it's like, yeah, yeah, you can eat pork and go to heaven quicker. It's amazing. (laughs) It's the, the kind of emancipation that happened to these people whose, whose, whose devotion hitherto had been, you don't do that, you don't touch that, you must do this. Now they're in Christ, this extraordinary thing, I'm allowed to do it. And they're having to learn that God is opening up his great plan. He's opening up to the nations. He's making a new way, a new covenant. And, and Peter's got to find his way through that. And so he sees this, that rise, kill, and eat. Okay, well, that's a big deal for me. And then as he's trying to get over that, there's a knock at the door and some friends of Cornelius. Well, who's Cornelius? You can read about this in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. That means he's the hated Romans, this unclean nation that swamped our holy nation and and taken us over. These guys who we hate, he's saying... You've been, our master, Cornelius, has said, he's had a dream of God, he's had a vision, had an angel visited him and said, send for Peter. It's interesting just to notice this because some people get very excited about angels. The angel just says, send for a man. The man has to tell you. Send for Peter, he will tell you. And so all that's the angel does, open the door for Peter. So Peter goes, and you see in the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter begins to preach. And if you look at it, he's saying enough to really communicate the gospel about Christ. And it says this, while he's still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and all the people with him. The house is filled. He's, he's drawn a load of people together. He's here waiting. We, we've come to hear for you. And they're listening. They're thinking, is this true? And as they're listening, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They start speaking in tongues. And Peter says, what's going on here? And this is such an important moment in the history of the book of Acts. It's repeated. It's there twice. In Acts chapter 10 is the account Next chapter, Acts chapter 11, he's back in Jerusalem on the carpet from all the other apostles. What were you doing in a Gentile home? You ate with Gentiles? You baptized Gentiles? What are you doing? And so it's there twice over to underline this breakthrough time, this important breakthrough time. And Peter, when he gives his report, in Acts 10, it says, while he was speaking, when he's telling what happened, he said, I was just beginning to speak. In Acts 11, I was beginning to speak, and the Spirit fell upon them. And so they say, wow, so God's accepting them. 
the Holy Spirit has leapt over the wall. You know, but we know that by the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. This is a characteristic of the gospel. It brings peace. It deals with all that trouble, all that storm in our hearts. It gives us peace. And it says in Ephesians, he preached peace to those who were near, to the Jews. They were near, but they still had to find peace with God. They were drifting into formality, externalism. Even John the Baptist said, you call yourself sons of Abraham. God can make out of these stones sons of Abraham. Don't just come making claims. Where's your heart? And he's saying that to those who were near, to the Jews who've got all their background. He came and preached peace to those who were near. And it says this, he preached peace to those who were far away. Gentiles. Jesus is breaking through. And it says this, and he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. The gospel does that. It breaks down walls of hostility, walls of we don't talk to those people. No, we hate these people. The gospel leaps over. These forest fires, you know, if you see a forest fire, you're more familiar with that than I am, but fire will sometimes leap. And here, this fire of the Holy Spirit leapt across all their nervousness, their tendency to hate, and suddenly, hey, the Holy Spirit's on you. And so it says in Ephesians 4, make every effort to maintain, what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to maintain this unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit is a supernatural thing. It's something God does. God's with you and God's with me. This is supernatural. We've not just said, oh, we're nice people. We come from a similar place. We've got a similar background, similar kind of car. We kind of go well together. This is a supernatural thing that leaps over problem areas and it's God. And, and Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4, with lowliness and gentleness and patience, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's a gift from God. We, have to, we don't make it happen. It's from God. But we have to maintain it. And the commentators say that what Paul says in Ephesians 4, make every effort, it's translated in most of our Bibles, you could not use a stronger Greek word than is what is expressed there. Make every effort to maintain. It's something you have to be very diligent about. Making every effort. Now that's true, beloved, even in a congregation in one place here. You make every effort. It's not like, well, she started it, she should finish it. It's not like, if he wants to speak to me, he knows my phone number. That's not making every effort. The Bible's telling us to be diligent, make every, as far as it's possible with you, be at peace. That's the New Testament call to us, as far as possible, because it's so important. It's so important in an increasingly fragmented world where people hate, they break up, they leave, they walk out. Now, the church has got to be something totally different. It should be so recognizable. Just come in, wow, what is it here? There's something beautiful about this. There's a unity. And then that could be, it could be just amongst us here, but beyond that, God has got a great purpose to unite what seems to be impossible to unite. In fact, it goes right back to the Old Testament when God is furious with Israel because they are worshipping false gods. They're bowing down to trees that they've cut and he's furious with them. And he, and he, says, he says this to them, you have made me jealous 
with gods who are no gods. And then he says to them, I will make you jealous with a people who are not a people. A people that, but that's not a people. He comes from here, comes from here. No, I'm going to make you jealous with a people. We have our international conference in Cyprus. We had last year. We'll have it again this coming year. And then the international conference of leaders from what we call New Frontiers, Fellowship of Churches around the world. And you've got the Ukrainian standing there worshipping Jesus, Andrei Bondarenko. And then you've got the Russian guy standing next to him worshipping Jesus. Well, the Russians have just broken into Ukraine. Andrei lost his house and his church, and he and his wife were living in a car. Because the Russians just marched in. I mean, it's hateful. Hey, my brother, my brother, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But you should hate one another. I do, but I love Jesus. It's changed everything. It's changed everything. See, even Jesus, you think about this. Jesus gathered 12. Of course, they're all Hebrews. They're all Jewish. But among the 12, you've got Matthew, the tax collector. Now, who are tax collectors? Well, they don't get very good press in the, in the, in the uh, Bible because the tax collectors, when Roma, the Romans came in, smashed Israel, just overwhelmed them. Just They were a power that was there. And they wanted taxes as well. And some Jewish people would go to them and say, you want taxes? We'll get your taxes for you. You're associating with these Gentiles. Yeah, we'll associate with them. And we'll work for them. Ah, that means you're unclean. You can't come into the temple anymore. Yeah, we don't care. We're just going to be with these guys. <laughs> they want taxes. Come on, let's have your taxes. Let's have your taxes. And of course, they pocketed as well. And they said, here's your taxes. And I mean, that's why the New Testament talks about tax collectors and sinners. It's like they're the dregs. They're dreadful people, the hateful tax collectors. They've sided with the Romans. They mix with unclean Gentiles. They take our money. Ugh, ugh, tax collectors and sinners. One of Jesus' followers, Matthew, the tax collector. Then you look at the 12, and it says, Simon the Zealot. Well, what's a zealot? Well, zealots were really like terrorists. They hated the Romans so much. You know, Roman soldiers would not go individually into zealot territory. It's too dangerous. Because a zealot would leap over the wall, cut the Romans' throat, jump back over the wall, he's gone. They're the zealots, they, they, they're going to kill these Romans. They'll do what they can. They hate it. So they've got this extreme hatred and this going along with it. And you turn up to your life group, and there's 12 there, and Jesus, and you say, what are you doing here? I mean, I cannot imagine somebody with a different worldview, so contrasting my values, my worldview, everything that matters to me. I hate you. Yeah, I hate you too. What are you doing here? I met Jesus. He called me. Jesus called me. And Matthew left his tax collecting. Like Peter left his fishing. Now, Jesus is totally their focus. Every secondary thing falls away. And beloved, that's what the church is like. We may come with all kinds of political perspectives, economic perspectives, racial backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. That has to be totally secondary now because God has a family. 
And we need to know this peace that we have to maintain, make every effort with humility and lowliness and patience. We maintain this peace, which is a supernatural phenomenon. And the more we know the presence of the Spirit, this is real, the more we know the presence of the Spirit, the more all these differences melt into nothing. And the more we see Jesus, we sometimes sing a song, don't we? Jesus is the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, it says he's building a temple. That old temple in Jerusalem, forget it. Jesus said, not one stone will stand on another. That's done, that's finished, that's had its day. I am building a temple of living stones, fitly joined together, where I can have a dwelling place of the Spirit. We are to be fitted together. This is the temple he's building. And the way we find how we can do this is we fall in love with the cornerstone. Every stone lines up with the cornerstone. How do you fit? Well, I, I line up with the cornerstone. <laughs> well, so do I. I line up with the cornerstone. Isn't he amazing? Yeah, he's amazing. And we find one another in that context. That's what God wants. A people who let, literally will live together with every other thing is secondary to this primary commitment to Jesus. Amen? That's what God wants. An amazing phenomenon that is in vast contrast to the hatred that's in the world. Here we are, this people then, they were together, and this Prince of Peace is really ruling. He's really ruling. We can't settle for less. This is the unique thing about the Church of God. That because of the blood of Christ, because of his death, because of his just breaking our hearts and remaking us, everything else becomes secondary. Otherwise, we just go to church on Sundays and stay where we were. God wants the gospel to wreck us and remake us with all our values realigned. Amen? That's what God wants. That's how it works. They were enjoying peace. This community was beginning to grow. And then secondly, it says this, being built up. That's the second phrase. They were living in peace. That crossed all kinds of natural boundaries. Then secondly, they were being built up. We don't want to just get one foot in the kingdom. The, the Bible speaks often about being rooted and built up. It, it uses that language. He's building a temple, and he wants me to be built up. He doesn't want me to stay a spiritual child. Uh, Paul said, well, at least the writer to the Hebrews says, you, you should be teachers of others by now. You've grown dull. Horribly sad when a Christian grows dull. I'd hate to know he's dull. No, you, know, you, you should be teaching others by now. You've grown dull. No, no, we're meant to be being built up, being built up. Being, we're supposed to grow, visually grow. It's a beautiful thing to see people grow. Wendy and I have 19 grandchildren. Hey, it's funny. Eh? And, and, and you, you watch them grow. And, and it's just such fun. It's such fun. You know, I think it was John Wimber who said, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. <laughs> so we didn't kill any of ours. And, uh, you know, but you watch them, you think, wow. You know, the growth is just life. And being built up and growing, God wants that for us. So Paul in Acts chapter 20 as an apostle, he's traveling, he's off, he's going. He's planted a church in Ephesus, and he gathers the elders from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. And he says to them, you won't see my face anymore. I commend you to the word of his grace that is able 
to build you up. We don't read our Bibles because it's your duty. You don't read your Bible to keep God happy. You know, I read my Bible, do I get marks for that? No, it's not relevant. We, we get to know truth because it builds us up. And the more truth we know, the freer we get. Hosea says, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. And a lot of Christians get confused because they don't know the truth. And we need to get built up. We need to set ourselves patterns. That, how am I going to get built up? I need, to, I need to, to know this book. I need to know its stories. I need to know its characters, its doctrines. It's some of its big words like justification, sanctification. It's no hard to understand these big words. No, no, it's, it's for my life. It's for my freedom. Otherwise, we get to know a word called condemnation, and we feel it much of the time. No, no, once I know I'm justified freely as a gift. The more I get into the Bible, the more I grow. I want to encourage you, get built up in truth. Especially the word of his grace, he says. Grace sets me free. The word of his grace. We need to be built up by truth. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. It's not your willpower. It's not letting go and letting God, that funny idea. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, know the truth. The truth will free you. So we need to know the truth. Probably we need to find some way of setting a pattern of, of reading. I've had all sorts of different approaches over the years, how to get into this book and feeling it's feeding me. Built up. You get built up. The Bible speaks about being built up in a number of different ways. Paul says, he that speaks in tongues builds himself up. So it's the Word, and it's the Holy Spirit. We, we build ourselves up. Now it says we speak mysteries to God. So I speak in tongues often. Paul says to the Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So if the great apostle says that's what I do more than all the Corinthians, those irresponsible Corinthians, Paul says I do it more than all of you. Why? Well, he wants to build himself up to build himself up. It's the gift of God. And so we say in Ephesians in chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody with all your heart to the Lord. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you find me in the morning singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to myself, being, getting filled, filled, filled afresh. We spoke of that in the week, if you were over at the other place called Rondebosch. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's a private joke. Eh? And uh, we talked there about, hey, the Spirit is within us. So keep on drawing and fan into flame the gift of God. We need to engage with the Holy Spirit, not just know about Him. He's come to be with us. And so here, he says, he that speaks in tongues builds himself up. So the Word builds me up. The gift of tongues and the life in the Spirit builds me up. And then it also speaks about building one another up. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says about being in a church, really, and that's why we want to be in things like life groups. Not just, I just not attend on a Sunday morning. I'm in a body. And in the body, I can be in a friendship and group with people who help to build me up. You will never become a mature Christian alone. That was never the plan. We need one another in order to become mature.
It's impossible to become a mature Christian alone. The way the whole New Testament is written makes that clear. Do you know there are over 40 one another verses in the New Testament? Over 40. We're told to pray for one another, encourage one another, confess your faults to one another, admonish one another. There's over 40. One another. I mean, if there are all these, it means you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. When I was born again out of the world into a rather formal church, it used to say on the wall, do not speak in the sanctuary. That was the deal. You don't speak. It's like a museum. Shh. We never got together. One of the things God has done in the church of late, in more recent decades, is make us much more like a family. But take advantage of it so that we can build one another up. And it says in Ephesians 4, when every part is working properly, we build one another up. When I was first in ministry, I was in, a, in my 20s, I was a pastor in a church, and I used to visit a lady in hospital. She was a glorious Christian, but she'd had a stroke, and one side of her body wasn't working properly. And I used to visit her from time to time, and she was a bright, really radiant Christian. But she'd sit there in her wheelchair, and, and she'd throw this arm. She'd say, useless thing. And she'd pick it up again to throw it. She had a member that wasn't working properly. And Paul says, when every member's working properly, we will be built up. We get built up. We get built up by one another's faith, one another's testimony. I went through that sickness. God really stood by me. What do you mean? Well, he really drew near. Wow, really? Yeah, it was wonderful. We've got little testimonies sharing what God said to us encouraging one another. Can I pop in? Oh, would you do that? Yes. Let's get together. That's how you build up. This church was walking in peace and it was getting built up. These are the characteristics of this church that's growing. It's like God wants these values. When they're there, he will blow upon it and make it grow. That's what this verse is implying. So they were in peace. They were being built up. It's just that we built up our knowledge. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. You can become a bit of an egghead with Bible verses. Paul says, it just puffs up. It's got to be love building. We need truth, but it's, under, it's, uh, it's uh, undergirded by love. That's what God wants for us. Then the third thing you find in this verse, the fear of God. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord. This church reverenced God. They really honored who he was. And the fear of God is a theme that runs right through the scripture and something of huge importance. We mustn't belittle it. We mustn't, with a grace emphasis, and certainly I would love to preach about grace. I wrote a book called God's Lavish Grace. I love the grace of God. Set me free from externalism and reg rules and regulations and legalism. Thank God it set me free from it. But it hasn't stopped me fearing the Lord. Even when Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, Oh, righteous Father. Oh, holy Father. That's Jesus praying. And so, yes, we are made, it's amazing we're allowed to say, Abba. We're permitted to draw near. Our opening song in the meeting talked about worshipping with trembling. It's a sense of, ah, am I, yes, you are allowed to come in, but just remember my majesty. 
I, I, I believe that sometimes people want to back off that. Oh, don't be too much like that. You know, be, be by kind of low, let, let people come in. They don't want them to be too alarmed. No, people want to know we have found God. And, and, and here's are people who have really engaged with the living God. They're not just religious. They're not just rule keepers. They're not just anti-things. They found God. And everyone in the Bible who really meets God, they kind of, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. I'm finished. And the Lord touched him. John, in, in the book of Revelation, says, I saw the Lord. I fell like one dead. And the Lord put his hand upon me. He said, come on, get up. Ah, we know God. Beloved, don't settle for less than that. If you don't fear God, you will drift into all kinds of nonsense. You'll have a double standard. You'll have a standard for when the believers are around. And then when the believers are not around. I'll just have a look at this on, the, on my laptop. What are you looking at that for? Wow, <laughs> pretty exciting. Oh, somebody coming. That's no fear of God. It's two standards. It's not like, no, I really know the Lord. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. We fear God. I was one of our churches in England, and they were doing a little children's section of the worship, which is fine. But the guy was singing a song with the children there, and he sang this. He had his guitar in his hand. He said, let's sing this, children. God is great. He's my mate. And I honestly, I sat there trembling. I thought, God, what are, you, what are we done? What are we producing here? God is great. He's my mate. No, he's my father. I'm permitted to call him father. It's absolutely amazing. But come on, my mate. We need to be getting this right. Get it right. There was, there was a fear here. There was a reverence. The world is waiting to see a church that looks like it's met God. They're kind of, wow, you people. There's something about you. Yes, we've met God. He's really touched us. It's affected the way I talk to people, the gossip I refuse to get involved in. The places I'm not going. The stuff I'm not going to look at. Come on, it's changed my life. I know God. I didn't just go to church. There's a, there's a reverence. There's a, I know God. That's what God wants from us. That's his purpose for us. That's his desire. And, and God will bless us in that. It's interesting. You'll find there are occasions in the book of Acts, where frightening things happen. For instance, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who are cheats and liars. And so the people are selling their land and giving it and think, wow, Barnabas is impressive. And they think, oh, you get to be regarded as impressive. We'll sell our land, and this is what we've given. And they say, is that the, is that the deal? Oh, yes, that's the deal. And it's not, because they've held money back secretly. They're just trying to get a, a reputation. And this is in a time of revival. If you've ever read about revival, revival, you read about it. It's quite a frightening time, because it's almost like the standard that God often talks about suddenly gets raised. God is blessing, but whew, some scary things happen too. And so they, they say, no, no, that's, what I, that's the whole deal. No, it isn't the whole deal. Ananias falls dead. In church. I mean, that's quite a church, eh? Carry out, what they do, they carry out corpses in your church. And then his wife comes in, 
so far as the, he said, what was the deal? Oh no, that was the deal. That's the whole lot. That's the whole deal. That's all the money. Boom, she's gone. Wow, carry her out as well. Anybody like to come to our church? We're carrying people out this week. And the extraordinary thing, she's thinking, oh, don't do that. Don't do it in front of the outsider. Don't let that happen. It says this, the next few verses say, and the church grew and multiplied. You think, well, that should forget going there. No, in the midst of that, it says that the church grew. Great fear came upon the people and all who heard there these things. And then it says in the next few verses, great multiplication. And then a similar sort of deal in Acts 19 where the sons of Sceva, again, I haven't time to get the background, but there's a, there's a frightening time of spiritual breakthrough. And again, you think, oh, we don't want that in the church. And again, fear comes and many get saved. They grow. And so we mustn't think that we play it all down in order to be more acceptable, more seeker-friendly. Be careful. Let's be seeker-friendly. Well, that's not too seeker-friendly. But at that time, God owned them and they multiplied so we do need to know what it is in our hearts to reverence Christ as Lord in our hearts that he is our king I've loved the songs we've sung here they're so God-centered to be honest I'm in different church most Sundays I travel a lot and I hear songs I think why are we singing this it's just about me you're singing about me again let's sing about God He's great. He's wonderful. Let's get taken up with God. And I hate to think of that ingredient drifting out and we sing silly little songs. I want to sing songs about God. They make my heart leap. Amen? The fear of God. And then the last thing is this. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's English. The English word comfort is interesting. The English language, historically, is made up of many, many different languages. So we've got lots of French words. Uh, France dominated England for a while after 1066, and we learned loads of French words. The Vikings came in, we learned some of their words. All sorts of words have made up the English language, and they're often derived from other languages. So the word comfort is made up of two Latin words. Cum, which means with, and you'll think you'll find cum in lots and lots of words means with. And fortis, which means strength. Comfort literally means with strength. That's what it meant when Tyndale first translated the Bible into English. He used the word comfort for this word. But it's changed meaning over the years. The word comfort has changed meaning since it was first translated and put into our Bibles. And so the word comfort is like, would you like another cushion? Are you comfortable? And so that can affect the way we think about the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the comfort. And even some of our old hymns have got this kind of, uh, you know, would you like another cushion concept. The word fortify has not changed its meaning. Fortify. Perhaps we should call the comforter the fortifier. That's what it actually meant. He fortifies. He strengthens. A fortification is talking about adding strength. And so these, these people, they were fortified by the Holy Spirit. 
This is what, you see, that's what changed them. When Peter denied Jesus, all of the apostles ran away. They're all a waste of time. Three years of training with Jesus, and when it came to the crunch, they all ran away. And then Jesus gathers them and says, now don't you start until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they, Acts, Acts uh, 1.8, you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. Don't start until. And so they wait, and the power of God comes upon them. And this, this Peter, who, who said, I don't know him, I'm not with him, a little girl says, surely, no, 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 I'm not. Curses and swears and says, I am not with him, I don't know him. That same guy on the day of Pentecost, he's saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we are witnesses. And he now, at the right hand of the Father, has shed forth this. What? This outpouring of the Spirit that has transformed them into boldness in the streets, telling about Jesus. The coming of the Spirit, the comfort, the fortification. See, that word has changed its meaning. We need to rediscover what it really meant. It's interesting. I don't know if you've heard of the Bayou Tapestry. The Bayou Tapestry uh, was uh, like a cartoon of those days, but it's sewn. It's a tapestry of the Battle of 1066 when the French did come in and uh, beat the English. And this tapestry tells the story. It's a famous thing. And you can see pictures of it in history books. Uh, And at one point, there's a picture of these soldiers going and then there's a, the, the, the bishop has got a pike behind the soldiers. And he's coming behind the soldiers with these soldiers as are going into battle with this pike. And underneath it says, the bishop comforteth the troops. <laughs> That's what the word meant. He's fortifying them. He said, come on, guys. And these, this early church, yeah, they were fortified by the Holy Spirit. We can't do it alone. We need the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. We need to know what it is for the Spirit to fall upon us. That's what happened in the early church when Paul came to Ephesus. He found a dozen guys. He calls them disciples. He found 12 disciples. And he says, have you received the Spirit? It's like, there's something lacking here. That's his first question. Have you received the Spirit? And it turns out they're not Christians. It turns out they're followers of John the Baptist. That's what it says in the story. I haven't got time to read it. But it says, oh, no, no, we just heard John the Baptist's message. In other words, they've just heard the message, get ready, repent. And so Paul tells them all about Jesus. And they say, wow, we've not heard this before. Paul preaches about Jesus and then baptizes them. Wow, they become Christians. And then Paul lays hands on them so they can receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit falls upon them. They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Because in that early church, people received power from on high. And that's what God is doing across the world in his church today. He's revisiting us with power from on high. Paul said, have you received the Spirit? By the time he'd finished with them, they could say, yeah, we've received the Spirit. The church was energized by an energy other than themselves. And then as I preached on Wednesday at the meeting. Now we have to keep the flame burning, fan into flame that gift that's in us. And so here we have this beautiful church. And as I say, so many Christian magazines these days, especially for leaders, it's all about business management. 
what's your five-year plan? Where do you expect to be here? Where will you be there? And, and, you know, as I said, efficiency is fine, but it's God who makes it grow. We can have all kinds of plans. By then we'll be this. Well, we'll see. It says here, they were multiplied. And that's a passive. It's a passive. It happened to them. They didn't multiply themselves. They were multiplied. It's the same as Jesus, uh, Paul says, one waters, one sows, one waters, God makes it grow. It's almost like God saying, do I want more of this around? Here's the church, well, do I want more of this? It's like we say, Lord, are we worthy of being multiplied? And that's where you get this lovely little comment, this kind of phrase, this is what was happening here. They're living in peace, they're getting built up, they're fearing God, they're being strengthened by the Spirit. God says, yeah, multiply that, multiply that, multiply that. May that be our portion, our experience as we go forward with God. Can I pray? Father, we thank you so much that you know us through and through. We thank you for our experience of your kindness your incredible love for us. We thank you, Lord. We, we do want to be like Matthew, the tax collector, who just left it, left all his earlier worldview, the things that made him make decisions, the things that mattered to him. It all changed because you had won his heart. Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here that knowing you might change everything change all our values, prioritizing to please you. Lord Jesus, I pray for relationships of real delight. I pray we might be at peace. Help us to walk in peace with one another, with mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Help us in it, Father. Please help us. Keep binding this church, this wonderful church, spread all over Cape Town, these multi congregations. Thank you so much for what you've done. Keep on blessing it with unity. Right into every life group, into every home. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to really grow, be built up visibly, noticeably, like grandchildren. Hey, you've changed. Lord, I pray for Christians that we can say, hey, you've grown since last year. What happened to you? Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. And we pray, may we really honestly fear you. Lord, not play at it, but really know you in a way that reverences you. Give us grace in it, Lord. And Lord, fill us with your spirit, we pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, flood us more and more. Cause us to know your fullness in every conceivable way. And Lord, would you multiply us, please? Would you please keep multiplying us that the people of Cape Town and beyond must say, what is this people? There's another group. There's another group. What's going on here? It's the life of God. Father, please keep doing it. I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.